Germany's chancellor has come and gone, winding up his first official visit to this country. Olaf Scholz, though, has left behind some glaring questions about Canada's ability or inability to help his country and Europe in general to rid itself of an overdependence on Russian energy, specifically oil and gas. There was a big announcement in Newfoundland about fast-tracking the production of green hydrogen to Europe, but that won't be heating homes in Hamburg anytime soon. In fact, what Germany really needs is natural gas, liquefied natural gas to be exact, and Schultz made that very clear in a speech to a business forum in Toronto on Tuesday. As Germany is moving away from Russian energy at warp speed, Canada is our partner of choice. For now, this means increasing our LNG imports. We hope that Canadian LNG will play a major role in this. But the task at hand is much bigger than simply diversifying our energy supply. Play a major role in this, LNG, the Chancellor said. And while Canada could provide some relief if Russia continues to weaponize energy exports this winter, the Chancellor's visit exposed a cold, hard truth. We can't and we won't. There's lots of blame to go around. We really haven't been in the business of building pipelines or LNG facilities in this country, a notable exception being the Coastal Gas Link pipeline out here in BC, which will eventually help export liquefied natural gas once it's liquefied uh, to Asia. Right now, there isn't a single LNG export terminal in this country. Every single liter of natural gas that Canada manages to export all goes to the U.S. via pipeline, and they perhaps can turn it into, you know, liquefy it and send it abroad. But as many of this country's allies look to cut down on the reliance on Russia across a wide spectrum of natural resources, Canada seems to be the logical alternative. But we're not really able to step up despite an abundance of resources of our own. And the spotlight falls on the current government and accusations that a regulatory environment uh, that critics say throws up way too many roadblocks to resource development is standing in the way every step of the way. On Monday, the Prime Minister said there's never been a strong business case for LNG gas exports from Canada's East Coast to Europe. Well, joining me with more on this is Heather exner Pierrot. She's a senior fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute, a research and communication advisor to the Indigenous Resource Network, and a global fellow at the Wilson Center in Washington. Thanks for your time tonight. Thanks so much for having me. So the, the Chancellor's visit really did expose, I mean, I, I, going into it, there was talk about, you know, we're going to discuss liquefied natural gas, and that was sort of put on the back burner. And sure enough, Chancellor Schultz hold, uh, showed up, and that's what he talked about. Uh, it kind of highlighted the gap that exists, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, hydrogen, I've got no quarrel with hydrogen, and I think in 15 or 20 or, or 30 years, I might be able to play a useful role. But certainly, you know, in, in the coming years, it's, it's LNG and the prospects for LNG are very good. And as we try to get off Russian gas, um, there's no better alternative than good old Canadian uh, LNG. And we have the Montney Formation uh, straddling uh, BC and Alberta, which is probably, if, if not the best, one of the, the best uh, gas uh, formations and reserves uh, left in the world. And yet it uh, looks like it's, for the most part at least, I know obviously the Coastal Gas Link pipeline is being built slowly, but it's being built. Uh, but for the most part, it's, you know, a lot of it's going to be left there, isn't it? While Europe uh, potentially this winter at least uh, finds itself uh, cold and in the dark to a certain extent. So, you know, we, we export, we we're the fourth largest producer and we export uh, almost all of it. Um, but most, it all goes to the United States, the ones that we do export. And that used to work really well for Canada before the shale revolution, before the United States got all of its own natural gas from, from fracking. Um, and so now we have all this excess gas in Canada. What do we really want to do with it? And, of course, uh, other countries in the last seven, eight years have been developing their LNG export capacity. We have not been able to do that. Now the world's in a crisis. 
Um, some people think it's too late. I don't think the chancellor was here because he thinks it's too late asking for LNG. I think they're thinking about the short term, the medium term and the long term. Uh, and Canada needs to be a part of all of that. Yeah, of course, we know that the U.S., as far as LNG is concerned, is operating at full tilt now. They have no more capacity, really, do they? So, in other words, um, there is that opportunity for Canada to at least maybe alleviate some of the world pressure on LNG by shipping uh, to Asia. But that's also a ways off. So, there's a question. Do you think it's too late uh, for Canada to get involved at this point? It certainly doesn't seem like the government is is pushing, the federal government is pushing too hard to make this happen. So, so obviously, doing this five or seven years ago would have been much better, but we didn't. So what do we do today? In the short term, what we can do is uh, increase our exports to the United States, and they're building LNG exports like gangbusters and getting full capacity there. Uh, we can definitely uh, add gas you know, uh, to, the, to the markets in two or three years here uh, out of BC, and that will help reduce some of the global demand. But there is, you know, people say it's too late to help Europe this winter. But what about helping Europe in four and five and six years? What is the plan for that? And it's still got to be LNG. Uh, not to mention, you know, the Asian population is going to grow by a billion people uh, in the coming decade. Uh, they're going to be moving from, you know, kind of poverty to middle class and using more energy. So there is no, there is no realistic scenario just that, that doesn't see us using more LNG in the coming decades, especially to get us off coal. And here's what people need to understand is because we don't have enough natural gas in the world right now, we are, we are using the most coal ever in history. It'll be a record year for burning coal in 2022. And yet, you know, when um, the BC case was being put forward, obviously you'll be well aware of the counter arguments to it that, you know, the, the market for LNG was, was tanking and that it wasn't worth building these facilities. Uh, and then we have this war in Ukraine and, and this sudden reliance, this sudden awakening, I think we already knew it, but an awakening to just how reliant so much of Europe was on Russia for natural gas. And suddenly the business case looks a lot better. So is there an opportunity opportunity here, do you think, to revisit those business cases for some of those projects that were mothballed back when in the last 10 years, say? I mean, some so some of them, when we say they're mothballed, some of them are still ready to go, um, but mm-hmm. still need the approvals and need the investment. And this is kind of the critical point here. Who is going to spend billions of dollars on a new LNG pipeline, a natural gas pipeline or LNG export facility in Canada when we have the Impact Assessment Act, when we have the potential emissions cap, uh, you know, that wants to cut by 42 percent, when we have the clean fuel standard? It is who wants to put their own money not knowing what is going to be the investment climate, if it's going to get approved at some point, it will be clawed back. So there are, you know, we have that we have the natural gas. In fact, we don't even just have BC and Alberta natural gas. There's plenty of natural gas in Quebec uh, and in Newfoundland, in particular, a little bit in New Brunswick. Um, and at today's prices, it's trading natural gas is trading in Europe right now at the equivalent of five hundred and thirty dollars a barrel. Um, and we had the cheapest gas in Canada because we can't get it out. So, so the business case couldn't be clear. On top of that, we need to get off coal. And so, you know, people will pay a premium to get off coal if they, you know, if you apply carbon taxes, that kind of thing. The business case is so clear. The investment case for putting your money into natural gas in Canada is the thing that's outstanding here. Yeah, and, and it certainly it will take uh, a regulatory environment that would encourage that kind of investment. And I guess when uh, when a lot of big companies look at what the regulatory environment is, uh, as you mentioned, they're reluctant to drop big money on something, not sure how long it's going to take to build it, not sure what kind of uh, roadblocks will be in the way when they get going. 
Yeah, well, I mean, there's there was an East Coast LNG plant in Quebec, beautiful beautiful gas reserves that they have there. Uh, I think ten miles from open water, uh, and that was rejected in February. So you know, on on because of its greenhouse gas gas emissions and because of the unacceptable uh, impacts on marine mammals, there won't be an LNG or a hydrogen export facility that doesn't have an impact on marine mammals. Um, but who is, who is going to be the next person to say, oh, I'll try an East Coast LNG plant after that was just rejected only months ago? Heather Exner-Piro Heather is with us this half hour. She's a senior fellow at the McDonald-Laurier Institute, a research and communication advisor to the Indigenous Resource Network, and a global fellow at the Wilson Centre in Washington. We're talking about the German Chancellor's visit and uh, the quest, uh, certainly the optimism or the hope in Europe, uh, that Canada can be part of the solution to an energy crisis, a looming energy crisis uh, in that on the continent, as they try to uh, rid themselves of a long dependence, or at least a, a very acute dependence of late, on Russian energy. Uh, we've been talking about why it makes sense for Canada to provide some of that much-needed natural gas or liquefied natural gas uh, to Europe. Uh, Heather, you just wrote a really interesting op-ed for the National Post. When you talked about this more broadly, it wasn't just about LNG. It was about a lot of different things. It was about Canada sort of hoarding its resources. And, and at a time when, as you mentioned, Russia and Canada share very similar resource wealth. And as parts of the world are looking to try to rid themselves of that dependence on Russia, Canada seems to be the natural place to turn to. And it doesn't look like they're finding what they're hoping to find here just yet. How is that? Well, we have been underinvesting in, in our resources uh, you know, be it mining or oil and gas, forestry for at least the last decade. And some of this is a, is a global problem, and some of it is definitely a Canadian problem, that it takes longer and it's more expensive to get things done here. And so capital just finds it easier to get the return on investment elsewhere. Now, of course, we have the second biggest landmass and a small population. So we are one of the very few places, uh, and, and certainly the most obvious one, that has more resources than they need, where we're a net exporter of just about everything. Uh, you know, would be it food, energy, or minerals. And so, you know, allies have already been linked to us for the critical minerals um, that we need for the green transition, for the oil, for the gas, thinking ahead, wanting to get off uh, Russian dependence for a while. Uh, but of course, it hasn't been forthcoming. What's interesting is that just about everything Russia has that is now in, in, in a critical shortage, and that Ukraine and also Belarus had, uh, Belarus is also under sanctions, and of course, Ukraine's having a hard time exporting happens to be things that Western Canada is rich in. So that's wheat, uranium, potash, oil, and gas. Now, of course, everyone knows the pipeline issues we've had for the last while. At $100 a barrel, oil producers are very incentivized to use railways, uh, you know, to ship their, their, rail by, their crude by rail. That takes up room from what we might be able to boost our potash uh, exports right. to. And that will take, in, in turn, of the wheat and the grain and the oil seed exports that we can do. Uh, and I think we all know after COVID and supply chain snarls that we just don't have any excess capacity in this country. So essentially, a lot of these, uh, our ability, it's not that we don't have it, our ability to get it to it to market, essentially, has been hampered to such an extent that we can't up, there, there is no ex room to expand, even though the world is looking to us and saying, we could use some of that. No, exactly, that we have underinvested in infrastructure, have not made a great uh, investment climate to do those kinds of things, um, even though the geology uh, is very favorable to us. Uh, but but the business case for the investment it has been going elsewhere where people get a return uh, in, in shorter shorter time. So unfortunately, we're not in a position right now. Uh, it'll take some years to ramp up 
if we can get approvals for, you know, for the things that we need to do that ramping up. So if one were to hand you a magic wand, Heather, I know this is an improbable question, what would you fix first? I mean, where would you turn to? What are some of the short-term solutions? Uh, because, I mean, you know, the, the federal government, this federal government did buy a pipeline. It's not like they're completely oblivious to the fact that these resources are available and there's a demand for them. Uh, but if you had to change one thing, what would you change to make this situation uh to allow our resources to get to market, because clearly there's a demand for them, and we have them. I know sometimes we we try to move away from that old reputation as being simply, you know, a, a, you know, hewers of what you know, hewers of wood and carriers of water. But at the end of the day, we have this stuff, and people need it. So it's the timeline. It's the timeline when you when you first submit, you know, to do a project, a major project in Canada, to when you get approval. And this isn't, this isn't a conservative talking point. This is the Minister of Natural Resources who has said this, like, you know, I think in the last two weeks and, and many times before that, that, you know, the average time to get a mine up and running in Canada right now is 12 years. And how are we going to have a green transition where depending on, 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 on critical minerals, obviously, to do the batteries and, and the panels and, and the, you know, all the things, the magnets. How are we going to have that transition if it takes us 12 years to develop the mines to develop those resources? So, so that is, and, and, and what kind of investor would put their money into Canada knowing that they won't start even to start getting any money back for 12 years? So that is the battle that we're, we're faced again and, and need to reduce the permitting timelines, the rationality of the processes, you know, jurisdictional chaos uh, between the feds and the provinces, the territories, um, and, and because I think we, we, want, we thought that, you know, resources were a 20th century thing, no one has paid attention to that. No one thought that that was important. We wanted to move to the knowledge economy anyways. And now I think we're all being reminded that um, underlying the software is the hardware and that we need hard materials. We need mining. We need uh, lumber. We need oil. We need gas for just about everything we do in this society. Uh, and the rest of the world needs it badly. And one of the issues here, too, is that even, you know, investment money just looks for other places to go where the regulatory environment and the investment environment is a bit friendlier, right? That's the way money flows, right? If, if, if it's not here, it goes elsewhere. It's not like the money is being kept aside waiting for Canada to get its act together. No, and, and there, there isn't, it's politically, we are politically risky right now. Um, yep. and, and I'll point, you know, look at Northern Gateway or Keystone XL. Companies can put hundreds of millions of dollars into a project in Canada and lose all of it and get nothing, you know, for what they put in. Look at TMX, where the costs are triple uh, what they're estimated to be. Um, but, you know, so, so it will take years to undo the damage, I think, to our credibility in the investment arena. Uh, and we need strong signals for the federal government that they will change their tune, that they want to make major projects work, that they want to work with investors and resource development sector. But we have not heard that. And, and you know, the LNG, you know, simply not talking about LNG and saying that there's not a business case. This is the opposite of what people need to hear. And that's exactly what the Prime Minister was saying, wasn't he, the other day, that there was no business case for LNG on the East Coast. I mean, I know that's been talked about over the, over, over time, just the, you know, the uh, trying to get it to, to pour, trying to liquefy it there. But uh, as you mentioned, I mean, it, the demand is out there now. Um, and and if, uh, you know, if there are investors willing to step forward, you're right, if the government says there's no business case, if I'm an investor, I'm not going to throw my money into that. No, and I, like, I, like I said, they literally rejected... Uh, a project uh, less than six months ago. 
So there was someone willing to put their money in, went through the approvals, went, you know, went through the initial stages and got rejected. Um, so, but that person obviously thought that there was a business case uh, when, they, when they first went through the effort. And there's been a few other situations like that. So there is private you know, industry that, that can see that you could sell the LNG uh, for a profit. Obviously, the prices you know, have never been higher. Uh, but it's, it's the risk that you just won't get that money back at all, that your project will never see the light of day. Heather Exner-Piro, thank you so much for your time tonight. Fascinating conversation. Thanks so much.